Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Whitney Hill with SnapADU.com. So head over to that website. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. And everybody's probably wondering what ADU stands for. And before I let Whitney explain what this is, this is a great opportunity for everybody to head over to Twitter, REI underscore mastermind and follow along there as well, because that membership is growing quite a bit over there for me. Again, REI underscore mastermind, but really appreciate your time here, Whitney. Excited to be here. Thanks, Jack. Whitney, I warned you ahead of time that this is a very new niche for the show, and it's going to be very new for a lot of people. So I'm going to have to force you to start at the beginning and explain what ADU actually is and how you found your way into this niche. Would love to. And about three years ago, I had never heard of one either. So it's funny how quickly you can become an expert in a field. ADU stands for Accessory Dwelling Unit. And that means another standalone home on a residential lot that already has a single or multifamily, multifamily dwelling on it. And the state of California passed a series of regulations over the past three years that made it significantly easier to add an ADU in the state of California. Those regulations mean that you can build at least a 1,000 square foot two bedroom ADU or a an 850 square foot one bedroom ADU all the way up to 1,200, sometimes even 1,500 square feet, depending on the local regulations. In addition to building those detached accessory dwelling units, you can also convert to non-habitable space within existing multifamily dwellings, which means this can even apply to apartment complexes and other kinds of assets like that. So we've seen a huge increase in demand. At this point, we specialize exclusively in design build of standalone detached accessory dwelling units. The reason we do that is that the renovation and conversion work for existing structures, if you're adding over a garage or converting a garage, converting laundry rooms at a large complex, it's a very different set of skills. So as a business decision, we decided to get really good at the new construction. So we've basically become a an infill developer that is exclusively focused on these small homes that are between 500 and 1200 square feet. One of the things that just struck me is that while you're talking is that you talked about over the past three years. So this is a relatively young company and you did this during the lockdowns and COVID and everything else compared to a lot of parts of our industry that was at a standstill. How did you pull that off and how did that work? Yeah. So I'd heard about ADUs a couple months before the pandemic and was at the time doing flips on the East Coast remotely. So I lived out there prior, had moved up to San Diego, kept partnering out there, looking for opportunities out here in California. So I was actually at coffee and working just on my own. And I heard somebody mention ADUs. It was a couple of folks chatting and I thought to myself, oh, I should go introduce myself. But they walked away before I could muster up the courage to do that. Uh, but about half an hour later, they walked back by. To me, that was the sign that I had to just take that plunge and go introduce myself. I'm a bit of an introvert. So that was harder, harder to do for me. But I did it. And one of those gentlemen then introduced me to my future business partner, Mike Moore, 
who at the time was a general contractor doing about one to two million a year in revenue, mom and shop, mom and pop type of operation at the time. And he was also interested in getting more focused in ADUs. So we met in person the day of the lockdown in March 2020 as the Starbucks is shutting down around us. So thankfully, we both took that meeting. And from there, we started piloting, working together very quickly. So my skill set is in operations management and strategy. I had about 10 years working in consulting at Bain & Company and prior to that at an industrial supply distributor. So my skill set was so different from the general contracting background that Mike had. He'd been in construction his whole life and had his own license for about 10 years. So he'd already built a handful of these ADUs and had a working company. And that's what really allowed us to do this so quickly. So as to answer your question about the lockdown, we started building these processes behind the scenes and started embracing all of the new adoption of technology along the way. So when we first um, started working under the name Snap ADU, we were promoting remote site assessments. We were looking at parcel information and topography and all those sorts of things without ever leaving our homes. And that was accepted at that time. I mean, of course, is now, but that was very new in contracting. The first thing people expect is that you're going to come kick the dirt, look at the property, and meet in person. And we really wanted to test that out, whether that was necessary, because it's such a huge time suck, honestly. And it's if you're on the road, you can't serve clients. So we built our whole business in this environment of remote work. Along the way, we've gotten bigger. At the time, Mike had six on in his company. We're now 16 people. So as we've grown, we've questioned, should we, should we have an office? Should we have this in-person element? We've decided to stay fully remote. We do not have an in-person location. We occasionally get a WeWork space or something for a team building event, but we've just heavily leveraged tech from day one. Yeah, this is interesting because it almost sounds like COVID was a bit of a blessing in your way and it forced you, you and your company to now find a way that not only worked during COVID, but is your plan long-term. Absolutely. And not only from the business management side of things, also the demand for ADUs increased during the pandemic. About 60% of our clients are building ADUs for family members and about 40% are building them for rentals. So those folks that are building for family members, we had a lot of people coming to us because they didn't want to send mom to a nursing home when she was older. They wanted to keep her on their property or people were working from home more. So they wanted more space. They wanted to have an ADU that could double as an office. Or maybe they had more family coming to visit because everyone had more flexibility with their jobs. So all of that, along with the regulations, was increasing this demand for ADUs. Yeah, I would imagine that some of them are looking at short-term rental options as well, because during COVID, that actually took off as well. 100%. And ADUs must be rented for periods of more than 30 days. So there are a lot of people that will do the short-term rentals and more medium-term rentals to folks in the military, traveling nurses, all that's very big in San Diego. So a lot of folks will build those with that in mind, but they must be rented for more than 30 days because the intent of that state regulation was to increase housing supply rather than promote tourism. So you're in San Diego and now you're do you were flipping homes on the East Coast? Yes. What are that that's shocking as well. You're going into one high let's face it, on the West Coast, the property's value is typically pretty high. On the East Coast, it's pretty high. What are some of the tools and techniques did you learn in that experience from doing it from a distance that you apply in your current business? Yeah, absolutely. We were working in commuter towns to New York City. So I was living in Bergen County, New Jersey at the time. And so these were pop top flips where you're buying a small ranch and you're adding, you're doubling the square foot, square footage. And so what was happening there actually 
quite similar to what you're doing with an ADU. The space utilization was at a premium because you're trying to fit in another three, four bedrooms and a master suite on top of an existing space. You are confined in that way. So it's a different set of challenges, but it was thinking through those constraints that made me realize it's analogous to what we're having to do with infill development with ADUs. And at the same time, I was getting more direct exposure to general contracting. So when I left Bain and Company in 2016, I'd never worked in construction. I just had operations experience. So when I started partnering on these flips, my original role was not to be in the contracting spot. That was who I was partnering with. But to really understand what was going on there, I'm somebody who likes to understand the data, understand the information. So I was digging in a bit into what was going on. And we actually launched a project management system called Builder Trend. My partner, my business partner back on the East Coast and I did launch that for his contracting business and we were using it for all of our flips. So that was how I really got to figure out what was going on with residential construction. What are the different phases of work? How would that translate into a system? How can you then roll it out to a new company? That that was so much faster. So when I came over to do this for Snap, I'd already been working in that environment for two or three years. So I already understood the basics of general contracting so that we could then take all of that to my partner Mike's operation and very quickly digitize it. Because at the time, they were still doing a lot of things by phone, email, written lists. So we've moved away from all of that. And that kind of a transition is so tricky to pull off if you're starting without a test environment. I think what allowed us to do this so quickly was that we already had jobs in the pipeline from my construction business. So we were able to just pick those as pilots to bring into this builder trend system and figure out how that would actually run on a real job. Because something in abstract, when you're trying to template things out, until you really have a test case, it's so much harder to get it right. So we've really adopted this agile mentality of testing things quickly, iterating, not trying to get a perfect thing in abstract, really just trying to get into the real world to test it. Another thing that really strikes me is that you've mentioned that you previously were in business consulting operations processes, that type of focus. And you obviously brought this now to your current business. Have you found that when you're talking to other real estate investors, they don't place as much emphasis on that as they probably should? Yeah, I think that a lot of times the shiny, new, exciting tech or the shiny, new, exciting asset class or opportunity can really be distracting. And so it's not glamorous, honestly. The blocking and tackling of processes and project management software, it's not something that's necessarily somebody's first inclination of how to set up a successful business. They're thinking about how do I become the innovator? How do I become the like the new guy in town that has this concept no one's ever thought of? And I think that's actually what held me back in my entrepreneur story. And in a way, I'm glad I spent the time that I did working for others because I learned so much in that decade in corporate America. But in the back of my head, I always knew I wanted to do something on my own. I thought that too, though, that I had to have something new and exciting. What we're doing is nothing earth shattering. It's still general contracting. It's still just basic flows and everything. We're not innovating some massive new tech that's like utilizing AI. It's all very basic, but what we're doing is executing consistently. And I think you're exactly right. A lot of folks will lose sight of that and not put in the work day after day that it takes to actually build a repeatable process that you can outsource and ultimately set up to run independent of you. One of the things that I've said quite a few times on the show is that whatever you focus on is what's going to grow. And it's important to niche down and find find your business purpose, if you will, and actually define that with, and I'm going to remind everybody, head over to snapadu.com because your website provides a good example of this, where you've provide this focus. 
And there is a point and a place where you might consider other investment opportunities, but there's a ton of power and strength into providing this level of focus and deciding whether something is part of your core business and whether you're going to tackle it or not. Can you talk a little bit to the fact that it seems like a lot of your success could be pointed to you being in a particular niche? 100%. And if I back it up to where both Mike and I had come from, when I first left corporate America to experiment in real estate investing, I thought I was going to be doing small multifamily. I thought about syndications. I ended up buying an asset in Columbus, Ohio. There was all sorts of experimenting along the way. Um, and meanwhile, Mike was working in contracting, doing new home construction, renovations, experimenting with ADUs. And I think the power really did happen when we said, let's specialize in ADUs in North County, San Diego. At that time, we were just in a smaller subset. Of, now we're all greater San Diego. And we were beginning the ADU journey by bidding on anything that would walk in the door. Somebody wanted to convert a garage. Great. Somebody wanted to add six ADUs in an area where they could convert that space. Let's do that, too. And we were just not learning quickly enough. And so once we decided to say, you know what, let's just do detached because that's more repeatable. All we have to then worry about is the site conditions. The build itself will be exactly the same every time. It's just new construction. That's, that's something we understand. It allowed us to, to, to save our time that we were spending trying to do all these bespoke projects. We were able to really start getting the ones that would go through a system more reliably. And also, when you do that, you're able to more quickly produce content that is concentrated. So at the same time, we started building our website out and all of our content was focused on ADUs in San Diego. Other much bigger builders are also doing ADUs, but it's in addition to their core business. And to your point, when you don't have that exclusive focus, it's harder to rank in things like SEO search results. It's harder to build you know, that almost name brand recognition where in our market, like everyone has seen SAP ADU signs. And since it is our name, it's so clearly what defined what we're doing. And then lastly, there's this joy of missing out. Everyone's heard of FOMO, like fear of missing out. We have JOMO all the time when we see leads come in that are like complex, weird things where it's like, there's probably an opportunity there, but I don't want to do that. There's, I'm sure a contractor is going to go pick up that job and there's money there. And in the beginning, when you're turning away these jobs, it's a little scary. We turned away some really big jobs and Mike was doing the same thing as he was getting out of all the different development that he was doing. So turning away work at first feels really tenuous, but once you start doing it and then you really know what you're focused on, it's this giant relief. It's like we just build ADUs that are attached in San Diego. It's all we do. You know, what's interesting there, and it's an important lesson for everybody, is the fact that you not only are niching in a particular construction, but you're niching in a particular location. And a, a lot of people get into wholesaling when it comes to real estate investing for the first time. And they do, it's more of a shotgun approach. They'll try to get anything and everything under contract across a large area. But to have that type of niching in, in, in multiple categories is really telling. And then could you talk to your results here now? Because a, Based on what I've read so far, and it probably has changed over the eight, last 18 months, you're talking $15 million in transactions. That's quite impress impressive, especially during the COVID years. Yes. So we grew pretty quickly in terms of quantity of these ADUs and also just the job size, because as we did start to specialize, we've been building more and more of the two, three, even four bedroom ADUs versus the smaller ones. So we've seen our average contract size go up as well. 
And so along with that, we're just able to do a lot more with the same team. If we can do the same revenue with 60 ADUs that we would have needed to do on 90 ADUs, it's just less through our system, less overhead. So all of that has been a big part of our growth as well, where we've been able to be doing around four a month is what we're at right now. But we've plateaued on our team size. Now that we have all of our main bases covered, we're able to continue to handle this volume with those 16 people. So we've seen as we're getting that experience too, the learning curve and feeding back all the, the watchouts into our system has also just made us so much more efficient, all back to that point of focusing so that you really get good at that one thing that you're doing. Along the way, we've also decided to become more vertically integrated. We used to outsource architecture and permitting in the very beginning and just did the build. And since that, we've taken design and permitting all under one roof which also allows us to turn around projects much faster than you would if you were working with third parties. So all of those things have increased our control over it as well, which has allowed us to have a more consistent impact. You know, that's another thing too then. So as did those hires come about because you were taking a look at your business and you said we can go to market or complete these projects faster if we, how did you decide on those individuals or those positions that that you added to your team? Yeah, so we came into it with an operational construction team. So we had a team of on-site supervisors and a couple of project managers, and that was all running by itself. So what we did not have was the entire sales, marketing, pre-construction, selection sort of part of the world. So we first brought in a sales, sales team, it's actually a husband-wife team. And so they were the first addition from there, we started growing the belong the the job. As you would build this ADU, you can picture us building out this company. So next, we hired somebody who could help us build out the whole selections process and what the clients need to do to get all of their materials ready to go for the for the jobs. Because prior to that, Mike's team had been handling everything. Like they'd been selling the job, they'd been trying to figure out the material with the client. Then they're also running the job. So next, we also started to disaggregate a lot of the processes. So we pulled out an entire pre-construction department that does nothing but setting up estimates, purchase orders, dealing with subcontractors to get pricing. So all of that is teed up before it then gets to the project management side. And along the way, we've hired a few more experienced project managers that came from different industries that had 10 years of PM experience. So that's now allowing us to consider other options. Should we, instead of having one project manager do all of the construction, should we even segment that? So it's almost more of an assembly line where we're handling site work. That team member finishes up that part, hands it off to the next person to do the vertical build, and then the last person handles the finish work. When you start thinking about things differently, you're able to see a lot of these scale benefits where we had three different project managers interacting with the same cabinet vendor, right? And if you're trying to get something in by a deadline, you're now competing with your own team for that resource. You're all calling the cabinet vendors, and, oh no, I need you today. So by thinking about this differently and putting it into a series approach, now you're able to have your project managers focus on just their set of, call it five or six trades that fall within their portion of the build that allows them to have full discretion over all of our projects for that segment with that subcontractor. So as we've grown, it's been about adding hires that will now plug into this more evolved system now that we're in version 2.0. Early on then, you met your co-founder and you're defining what this business is going to look like. Could you talk a little bit to the process? Did you initiate the conversation saying we need to define what we do and stick to it? Like, how did that conversation go? And what did, what kind of strategies do you use to plan this out and make this business plan? 
I would say at the beginning, it was really Mike who was pushing the specialization. And that was so critical for us kicking that off. And now, of course, I'll push for it too. We take turns holding that, carrying that torch of, is this our core business? So it was not like something I came to the table knowing this is the key to the success. I think I definitely knew we needed more in the form of project management software and all that. Like that was something I knew needed to happen. So as far as us deciding to specialize and like knowing what to do, I do think we tried to, again, get to market pretty early. So within the first month of meeting, we were already trying to set up the systems that we would need to bring our sales force online and manage this spreadsheet of 200 people that Mike was dealing with ad hoc. So we, we knew the systems part needed to happen. I think the specialization was something that Mike had in his head and was really the impetus for at the beginning. So what are some of the tools and processes have you put in place? Let's focus on the tools sure. that you've put in place as a team to keep things remote like you are. Everybody yeah. seems to be working from probably from home then, unless you have the me work type locations on occasion, on occasion. But what what tools have you found as that are, have been vital to do the work you've been doing? There are probably three that are indispensable. First one would be Zoom. We use it for chat as well as video calls. And you can find a good group of us on at all hours. <laughs> so we use that as our virtual office. And people will even like hop in there and play music while they're working and just be on online together, but working separately to have some more of that cohesion. Cohesion. Mm -hmm. The second one would be Builder Trend, which is our project management system. That's where all the operational tasks related to jobs actually happen. And the third would be Asana, which is what we use to manage all of our company-related or process improvement tasks that have to do with how we run as a whole versus any specific job itself. So that's where we throw all of our ideas, we categorize them into the different parts of the business, and then we assign them out, prioritize them, collaborate in that space. And that's really reduced the volume of email that we have because pretty much everything has a house to be worked on, either in Builder Trend if it relates to a job and those kinds of problems and workflows, or in Asana, if it's something related to company-type tasks. So that's allowed us to reduce some of the noise, too, and keep organization high, allows us to quickly onboard other people, see exactly where our project is. So I would say those are the three tools that are most critical to our work environment. Yeah, the standout there is Asana. We use it pretty excessively, extensively as well. And in fact, another tool that's come on our radar is called Nifty, which does something mm. similar, but has a bit more focus on like project management. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with the agile, if you're it familiar with nifty, agile when it comes agile. to, yeah, when you're familiar with agile and project management, it has a different way about doing the property or project management aspect. But Asana is especially neat because I've even been able to get some of my contractors to install the Asana app and communicate and I can issue any kind of, I also manage some properties. So as rental properties, so I can create a task in Asana, assign it to whatever contractor, and they can respond accordingly right there in the Asana app. Man, that it's slick. For sure. And you can really get a lot out of it, even at the most basic level. It's pretty easy out of the box. We've barely scratched the surface in terms of all the other functionality that you could really use. And another one that's similar to that is our CRM. We use Pipedrive for that. And another one that's very accessible in the beginning, but has a lot of power behind it. So that is kind of a fourth one that's in the vital software bucket for us. <laughs> yeah, that's as, that's especially interesting because I feel like in the real estate world right now, we're being inundated with a ton of CRM options, whether it's REI, Black Book, Invelo, 
it, the choices are endless. And they all have a kind of a different, unique spin on things. Yeah. And we talk about those decisions on software and such as kind of these one-way gates where you know you're going to be using that software for at least a couple of years. It's a very weighty decision. And I feel like as we've grown, that's become more and more of a focus for what I'm doing in my role is thinking about what are our tech needs? How is that going to evolve? How does our suite of software operate together? Is it going to support the growth? All those are really tough challenges. And like you said, it can be overwhelming. And I think what we end up doing when we're evaluating a new one is to really hone down, hone our list of what are the core functionalities it has to really be great at. Make sure all that works how you want. Really ask those pointed questions too of the help staff. We were thinking about, should we switch to HubSpot? Should we use Pipedrive? And if you really know what are the deal breakers for you, that, lead, that has helped me in evaluating the tech more quickly. Yeah, one of the things that I've definitely found too is that if your sales team isn't willing to use it, that the tool might be broke. Like that must be too painful for them to actually leverage that as, a, as an actual tool. Yes, so, and that's so always that's, a challenge because you don't want to pay something too underpowered that is very accessible because they know it's not going to support the growth. It's really such a balance. No, this has been a really interesting conversation. And the other thing that I'd be really interested in, Whitney, is now that you're building out your team, you're staying within your niche, what have you been doing process-wise or team-building-wise to make sure that everybody else is on board and they feel like they have ownership of their individual business? This is such an important part. We've been talking a lot about role definition. So when you're in startup mode, people are wearing a lot of hats, everybody's scrappy, we're all talking all the time, people are doing myriad tasks as we're figuring things out. And we found that we've perhaps not given as much clarity around each role that would allow people to really run with their own department and move things forward without Mike and myself being involved. So we're right now in this process of making sure that everybody has sufficient clarity so that they don't need us involved. Because a lot of why we're being dragged into operational type questions is people don't feel empowered to make that decision because they can't tell exactly what their sphere is. A big focus for us in 2023 will be doing some of that work. Again, not glamorous. It's not fun to do role descriptions and org charts, but it needs to happen so that everybody is on the same page about who's making decisions. And then also having an aligned vision of what the company prioritizes. Are we prioritizing the client experience? Is it efficiency? Is it quality? Making sure people understand the same hierarchy that Mike and I have in our heads so that they can go make those decisions without us. Yeah. I think we have the same concept on that. I always thought that if managing a department or managing a business or having a business, if I can step out and take vacation for a couple of weeks and the business just doesn't even notice I'm gone for the most part, you've successfully done it. 100%. We also use the phrase, once you're tired of doing it, you'll find a way to get it off your plate. So that's been our mentality on a lot of things. Do it until you can record a loom video of yourself doing it and hand it off to somebody else. Whitney, we're going to close things out here. But before I do, I want to remind everybody, snapadu.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. And if you check your podcasting app, that should be a clickable link. So it'd be easy for you to get over to Whitney's website. But I didn't warn you about this, Whitney, and I usually do. But I have a list of rapid fire questions I was going to throw at you to learn a little bit about more about Whitney. Let's do it. Okay. Now here's a chance for you to bust one real estate investing myth that has been driving you crazy. Everybody's seen those late night programs. It's a get rich quick scheme, isn't it? 
For sure. So a myth, I would say the myth is that you need to go out there and hustle and do it on your own. I feel like that's a lot of the messaging. And in my experience, partnering with somebody, not trying to do it all <laughs> has been the biggest secret. You can get there so much faster when you have someone else involved. Yeah. And it's one of those things too. It's better to have a, a bite of pie instead of no, none at all. And people just can't seem to share. Exactly. So what book would you recommend or what are you reading right now? One that stuck with me through all of the business setup processes, I would say, is 4-Hour Workweek. Everybody mentions it, but it's one that's worth going back to because I think it has different applications depending on where you are in the life cycle of your business. Yeah, and I think a lot of people miss the point of that book. A lot of people pick it up because of the title, 4-Hour Workweek, but really it's I think it's a lot of information on how to get more done in the same amount of time. Totally. And how to start thinking about the tasks that you're doing and assigning a dollar value to them. Am I doing $5 an hour tasks or am I doing $500 an hour tasks? And as you get bigger, there's just not enough time in the day to do all those low dollar tasks. What is the biggest business mistake you've made so far? And what did you learn from it? Biggest mistake was experimenting with too many different avenues in the beginning when I was exploring real estate investing. I wish that I had focused earlier so that I could become more versed in a single subject versus just experimenting across the board where there wasn't a lot of synergy across the different things I was doing. If you could go back into time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Be patient. Enjoy the experience of whatever you're doing, even if you know it's not the end goal. There's always something to be gained from the opportunities that you're working on, even if they're not fun. So know that some t- at some point in the future, all those experiences are going to add up to what makes you differentiated. Okay, now I'm going to put a timer on this one. You have 60 seconds or less. You got to give somebody who's starting in real estate investing for the first time you're going to give them one piece of advice that they can implement today, what would it be? Go start talking to people. In the beginning, it can be really intimidating because you feel like you don't know enough to start having those conversations. But it's a hack to be able to go to talk to people and hear what the buzz is in the room and get an idea of what the topics are. So then you can start engaging with those specific individuals, getting the clip notes version. It's all much easier to do in person with real people than it is to just isolate yourself and try to learn it all on your own. Excellent. Whitney, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? No, Jack. You've been very thorough. I appreciate your time, Whitney. Everybody, again, head over to snapadu.com. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But I hope you'll come back again sometime. Would love to. Thanks so much, Jack. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.